Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Curiosity is so important because challenging your beliefs is how the mind-brain connection is structured to work, which is neuroplasticity. So we should be constantly looking at ourselves deeply, really thinking about the why behind what we believe, say and do and working on questioning this and growing. This is mind management in action. So when you find something is wrong with the beliefs you have held for so long and that have basically defined you, how do you find the strength and direction to make these changes? How do you forgive yourself and not let the shame and guilt destroy you? How do you deal with the loss of friends and family when you change? In today's podcast, I talk with Josh Harris, former pastor and unpublished author of the book about purity culture, how to kiss dating goodbye, about exactly this, and about the 100% change he made in his life as he challenged his beliefs. Just a note to the listeners, we experienced some tech issues towards the end of this podcast, so you might notice a shift in the audio quality. Let's dive in. Well, Josh, I'm so thrilled to have you back with me on this podcast. We had such an amazing discussion a few months back, and I'll put the link to that podcast in the in the show notes. People, I really recommend people go listen to that as well. And this is a part two, and there's been a bit of time since, I think it's almost a couple of years, I think, since our last interview. So, And I know that there's been so much changing in your life, mm. and there's so many great topics to talk about. So welcome back. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. Oh, thank you so much. I always look forward to the chance to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course, it's an absolute pleasure. Josh, you know, we talk a lot in, in the world of neuroscience, especially in the in the field that I flow in, in terms of psychoneurobiology, which is the mind changing the brain and the body. Mm. We understand that neuroplasticity is a really key component of how we as humans function. And that is this the way we structure to, to constantly change and grow. And your brain is never the same because your mind is never the same yeah. because experiences are never the same. So as humans, we are so curious and we are are structured to be curious and our mm. whole psychoneurobiology, mind-body connection is designed for that. So that kind of implies that as humans, we should be growing and changing through our lives. Right. But so often we can get stuck in um, upbringing and, and sort of um, almost like cultish type belief systems. Yeah. And, and I know you and I have both been caught up in those as we've grown up and you had a radical change in your life and had to do some major shifting and mm. neuroplasticity work and <laughs> changing how you looked at life. And yeah. so I'd love us to just with that sort of theme, talk about a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, just go through a little bit of your story where you came from right. for those that haven't heard or heard of the amazing work and what I have the utmost respect for how you've changed and how you took ownership of an incredible change in your life oh, and thank you how so that's much. impacted so many people in a positive way. You know, that just that whole growth. So I'd love you to just in that theme, you know, just yeah. take us through the story of what well, you've gone I, through. I love that you're bringing up this topic because uh, I think that, um, you know, people talk about growth. Everybody wants to grow, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but growth always involves change. You know, like if you have a plant in your home and it grows, it's not going to look the same. It's not going to fit in the same space on your shelf exactly. that it used to. And that's true, you know, for us in our, our lives as well. We all say we want to grow, but the change that comes along with that growth is often uncomfortable or it doesn't fit the box that someone else put us in or we exactly. put ourselves in. So, you know, I'm, I'm learning, I've gone through all kinds of stages in my, in my journey. You know, there are times where I was really 
angry at you know the people the the people who I followed or the people who kind of mentored me or my parents or whatever it might be like why did you you know why did you do that and now I kind of, I feel like I'm in a stage where I'm I'm trying to have more empathy towards them towards myself you know why why did I think a certain way and so on and I'm and I'm trying to make it really more about change is something that's natural. I'm going to keep changing. I might change back. I have the freedom to do that. But um, the the story for me is that I grew up in a, in a wonderful um, Christian family. I'm so grateful for that. But there were a lot of expectations. There was definitely a right way to do things. Uh, my dad was a big homeschool leader. So he was advocating for not only Christianity, but Christian homeschooling. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of the model for that. Like, here's, here's your kids will turn out well if you do, you know, if you parent in a certain way. No pressure. You, yeah. <laughs> if you educate in a certain way. And so I didn't, I didn't understand all of that at the time, but um, there starts to be these, these real, you know, pressures on you that say, if you stay like this, then you make mom and dad happy. You make your community happy. You know, you're you're safe and you're good and you're accepted. And what that does is it shuts off the ability to be curious. Mm -hmm. You know, it even shuts off certain conversations. I mean, we've all we've all I think experienced that where yep. you can't even ask certain questions yeah. because the possible answers are not allowed. So you don't even, you're not even allowed to ask the questions. So I followed, you know, um, in my dad's footsteps, I became a, a speaker when I was young. I published a magazine. I wrote a book um, that became a bestseller. And then I pursued becoming a pastor. So I kind of just kept embracing the safety and the mm -hmm. sense of identity and the sense of, you know, the career, the financial, you know, security, all those things that came with being the person that I thought God wanted me to be, that my parents, that my church, you know, all these other people wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought it was great for a long time because it was, I was being successful and I was being applauded and, you know, all these things were going yeah. so great. So my process of change and kind of needing to push out of that box that I was in really came about because of of failure and things starting to crumble. You know, the church had a big church split. <laughs> yeah. um, suddenly, you know, people who had been mentors were, were no longer wanting to talk to me. You know, our church went through a, a big crisis related to a sexual abuse scandal, things that, you know, we thought we were doing the right thing. Actually, we'd done really wrong. And we had to acknowledge that and and see our mistakes. And and so I went through this this real crisis of, wait a second, I'm not happy in this work. I don't I don't like doing this. I failed in many ways. I've let people down, you know? And so failure was actually the the process for me of being open to being curious because suddenly the things, the the pat answers that had worked for me for so yeah. long weren't working anymore. And that was really the beginning of my, my process of change. Did you know that we all have zombie cells in our body? Yes, this is not a script for a horror movie. Senescent cells, also known as zombie cells, are old worn out cells, no longer serving a useful function for our health. Thankfully, there are ways we can actually combat the effect that these zombie cells have on us, including using senolytic ingredients that are science-backed to support our body's elimination of these cells. And our sponsor, Neurohacker, packs seven of the most science-backed senolytic ingredients into one formula, 
called Qualia Synalytic. And you can take it just two days a month for fast, noticeable benefits for and a much better aging process mentally and physically. For help with my daily mental performance and help supporting my long-term brain health as I age, I think Qualia Synalytic is indispensable. I noticed the difference in just days to my focus, my mood, my memory and my willpower to get things done. I also love that the formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in each ingredient's effect on supporting mental clarity. If you're in your late 20s or older, adding Qualia Synalytic to your diet can play a crucial role in combating negative aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash leaf for up to 50% off Qualia Synalytic and as a listener of Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, use the code LEAF at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. That's neurohacker.com forward slash leaf to try Qualia Synalytic with code LEAF and start aging on your terms. The link and details are in the show notes. I love that. It's almost like um, uh, it's carrying us a baggage around that is standard stock answers for standard stock concepts with yeah. no curiosity attached. And it's just that's like you mentioned, you could there were certain questions you couldn't ask because the yeah. answers were answers that you couldn't have. Mm-hmm. And so the curiosity was stemmed. So it's counterproductive to how we as humans function when we get stuck in that kind of, uh, there's no like deep acknowledging of and questioning and developing insight there's just a mm. standard way that you live and respond and it's like a bubble mm-hmm. and it ex- eventually it falls apart and and we see this josh in it happened in your life and in a very constructive way because you mm. came out on the other side freeing a lot of people from a lot of pain and, and i'd mm. love you to just explore that a little bit a little bit more as well because of the way you handled the situation and that happened in your life was just brilliant but you uh, in terms of what you were teaching because the philosophy yeah, which was right. one of these baggage philosophies that had exactly. you just don't question this and so many people i mean i even remember people you know giving certificates on their marriage day of their purity and to fathers and you know things yeah. based on this whole concept so before i i lead, people start thinking what earth is she talking about do you mind i know this is not easy to talk about yeah, but do no. you mind just sharing that because it's so related to the change right. that you've made and how right. you're now impacting people and well you know it's interesting i i think that um the the story that you're referring to is the fact that i wrote a book uh called i kissed dating goodbye that mm-hmm. became in the late 90s and, and early 2000s very popular. It was part of what we now look back on and and call the purity movement, uh, purity culture, mm-hmm. where there was a real emphasis on saving sex for marriage. And my book even went further and said, hey, if we're if we're supposed to save sex for marriage, then we shouldn't put ourselves in any kind of setting where we would be tempted to have sex. We should stop dating. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I was this young single guy, had so little experience in relationships you know, had like one girlfriend in high school or whatever. And I was like, you know, writing as if I had (laughs) all this wisdom and I was, you know, being zealous for the Lord and wanting to set a high standard. And, and it ended up blowing up and, and millions of people read this book and were influenced by the ideas and churches embraced it and families embraced it and so on. Um, And part of, you know, 20 years later when I'm a pastor and my church is starting to um, really fall apart in different ways. Mm-hmm. I started recognizing, wait a minute, you know, our church is, you know, has this environment, this culture that's really controlling and 
and people are starting to talk about this and they're finally being given a, a voice on the internet to speak up and say, Hey, there are problems here. Pastors are not treating us right. You know, there's a, there's a controlling culture. If you do, if you don't do things right, if you don't homeschool, if your kids get in trouble, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. suddenly you're pushed out. You're not accepted. You're, you're not good enough, even though we were preaching grace, right? That was their experience. Kind of and I started realizing, Oh my gosh, my, my book's a part of this. And, um, I ended up, stepping back from ministry to go to a graduate school of theology in Canada, which I, where I now live. Mm -hmm. And that was this environment where suddenly I didn't have to play the role of pastor. I could ask questions. I was a student. Mm -hmm. I was listening to other people and I started listening to other students and they started sharing their stories of, Hey, your book was really unhelpful to me. And it wasn't just some angry person on the internet that I could write off like, oh, that's just a negative, you know, Amazon book review, or that's just some hater out there that, yeah. you know, they don't really love the Lord. They're just attacking purity. Suddenly I was listening to fellow students and I was hearing their stories. And there's something so powerful about having a human connection mm -hmm. with someone that we maybe in the past wrote off wow. because they, they came from a different place or because of their sexual orientation, whatever it might be. Yeah. And suddenly I'm listening to these people and it begins to change me. You know, I, I start to recognize patterns and I go through a process of uh, listening to a lot of people and hearing a lot of stories and inviting um, their perspectives. And that eventually, I'm shortening the story, but it led yeah. to me apologizing for the book that I was best known for um, with the support of my publisher, who I'm so grateful for, uh, unpublishing all my books taking Amazing. them, you know, off the shelves and so on. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful now when I look back, but it was, a, it was very scary. I didn't, there are moments I didn't want to do that. I wanted to try to say, oh, you know, people just misinterpreted my book or, you know, let me just like edit the book and, and improve it in different ways and so on. It was a very scary process of change and very painful. And I think it, it's harder to change when, our identity is rooted in in something when we're known for something when a lot of people are like hey wait a minute you have to you have to be this person you know mm -hmm. you have a reputation or whatever it might be for something mm -hmm. that's when it gets hard to change you know most lots of little things you can change about you change your toothpaste nobody cares <laughs> but if yeah. you were the spokesman for colgate toothpaste and then you change that could be a problem right so yeah. i think you know all of us have to examine that and be i think more honest with ourselves of why why do i feel you know so devoted to a particular viewpoint or whatever is it because i've really thought through it or is it really because of family pressure work pressure community pressure whatever it might be oh that's brilliant the way you explained all that and really very very helpful because you know just as you're talking there's so many things in my life that have changed as well and one of the mm. things that that i have um really found very very much part of my psyche is I've always changed. And I remember once having someone who worked for me saying, yeah, so one thing about you is that you're always changing. And and that was, an, it was an insult. This person was saying it as an insult and <laughs> I received it as a total compliment. And, wow. you know, it's, it's such a, it's a very, it doesn't make certain things easy. And, mm. you know, we aren't constantly transitioning and transitioning various different things and so on. So thank you for saying that. And and I really want to encourage people to be curious and mm. to embrace change because you grow as a person. But you highlight something there that makes change very scary. You were seen as the 
purity culture icon kind of thing. Right. I mean, you were really up there as, you know, I, before I'd ever met you, I knew about Josh Harris because I would go, you know, move around and I used to speak a lot in those kinds of churches. I don't anymore. Right. But there's, a, and you, and then, you know, I happened to watch how you change. And I thought, wow, this, this man's amazing, which is why I wanted to get you on my podcast in the first place. But you give us the encouragement. Now that was hard yeah. because you were ghosted. You were, Gaslit, you were everything that we use, all these terms that you know cut off from a community mm. and even you know, even went through a divorce from the major changes mm. that you made. And yeah, how did you, you know, and this is a big question, but how did you manage all of this? How did you and I know it wasn't an overnight thing, but you obviously yeah. made a fairly definite decision at some point in your life that gathering all this data of, I can't live like this anymore. I can't live with myself yeah. like this anymore. And then you started shifting over. Mm. How did you make that change and manage that change in your life? If that's even a good way of asking it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's, it's tempting to want to try to look back and, and package it as more kind of neat and tidy and organized than it and actually short and was. simple and sweet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These are yeah. the three steps, right? Um, it was, it was chaotic. It was, um, it was scary. It, it felt like, it felt like my life was falling apart. Um, there were moments of just, just feeling like, uh, I was almost like I was going to stop existing. You know, when you, <laughs> that sounds so yeah. overdramatic, but when you found your sense of self, in anything mm -hmm. you know it could be a relationship for me it was this identity i'm a pastor well mm -hmm. then that that you know i i stopped being a pastor yeah well i'm i'm the author of these best-selling christian books i was you know that were used by god well no actually they they harmed a lot of people yeah um now i'm now my books are instead of being a badge of honor there's they're actually something i'm I'm regretful about that I've unpublished. I'm I'm not a published author. I'm an unpublished author. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. those those identities losing that, it really can feel like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna disappear. Like, but the process, I think the process for me was recognizing I'm more than that, whatever that might be. Mm, I love um, that. and and that's scary. You know, even then losing the identity of I'm a good husband. I'm the purity culture guy who did things right. Look at my marriage. It's proof of it. Well, no, actually, you know, we're, we're separating, we're getting divorced and I no longer have that, that identity. So, so that process was, was really difficult, but I think it's really just leaning into it, recognizing that you're more than those different identities. Um, and, and this is where it's interesting, you know, even my faith has shifted in different ways, but I find so much comfort in the metaphors and the the truths that the that I've learned from the Bible over the years. You know, there is a massive theme in the Christian faith of resurrection after death. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there are moments of death that we go through in, in our in our lives, death to an identity, death to a certain dream. I thought my life was going to turn out this way. I thought my marriage was going to turn out this way, whatever it might be. And that and that dies, and yet there's a new life on the other side of it, and you experience resurrection in a sense, and you're able to say, oh, you know what? 
my life is more than than that thing that used to to give me so much security and um so i feel really grateful but it's it's been a it's been a long winding road don't you love that feeling when you're in the zone on a roll and going above and beyond everything you wanted to get done in your day with all the research projects travel and events i have on my schedule right now sometimes i find it hard to keep up with what i need to do daily which is why i'm so happy i discovered my new secret weapon cognitive switch it's a newly launched ketone ester drink developed by scientists at the health aging company Juvenescence. Its formula gives your body the building blocks to create its own ketones, which are an efficient fuel for your brain that give you a boost in focus, concentration, and even sustained energy without the crash. I love using Cognitive Switch because it helps me get into the zone easier, helps me feel my best and sharpest, helps me power through the afternoon, and in a way that supports my brain health. It comes in two forms, a drink that tastes like a delicious tropical yogurt and an unflavored powder that I love to mix into my morning coffee as a coffee creamer substitute. I like to add it to my coffee because it creates this instant latte-like consistency and tastes so good. Here's the exciting part. Cognitive Switch just launched and for a limited time, our listeners can enjoy a special offer of 20% off. Visit juvelabs.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. That's J-U-V-L-A-B-S dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf to get 20% off your order. Don't miss out on this opportunity to start your journey towards enhanced mental performance. The link and details will be in the show notes. Oh, I, I, I know I've watched your one long winding road and it's been, I, mean, I can imagine and the changes that I've made in my life, it's, it's all of us can relate to this. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. It's, it was as just to be an unpublished author to literally reconstruct and resurrect your life, reconstruct your mm. life. And a, a theme in the work that I do and the research that I do is reconceptualization, which is not just reframing. Wow. It's not just refocusing. It's a mm. complete deconstruction and wow. reconstruction of whatever's gone on in your life. And I mean, you've pretty much done that. You've you've stood back and you have looked at how you've showed up and looked at the signals of your life and you didn't mm-hmm. like what it was doing. There was an inner conviction mm-hmm. and you basically deconstructed and reconstructed, which is this whole process of reconceptualizing and, mm. and moving into a new way of, of, of being. And, and that is a very, very painful process. When I go, when I do the research I do and when I practice as a therapist still, one of the things I would always tell my my patients and something that I'm actually writing, I publish in scientific journals is called the treatment effect. And that mm. is that things get worse before they get better. And you know, you've <laughs> <laughs> and that's what changes things do get worse before they get better. So here's the question I want to ask you around this is when you were in this mindset, you um and this this system that you mm. almost kind of cultish system that you yeah. were stuck within. And you were saying, you know, doing these things and reading, there, there was a, a shifting point where, or did you ever feel, because this has happened to me and I'm interested to see if it's happened to you. Did you ever feel that while you're in the midst of this and it seems so right and you were so sort of almost, you you were secure because you were in the safety net of delusion, almost like a bubble <laughs> yeah. of this is the right way to do things. But there was always a nagging thing at the bottom yeah. of my mind, at the back of my mind, at the wherever mm. it is, that this is wrong. There's something that's really wrong mm-hmm. here because this is harming other people. And when mm. I started listening to that voice, that's when I started making major changes. And then there were certain things that happened in my life that really pushed mm. me to make major changes. Did you ever experience anything like that? Can you talk into that? Can yeah. You... you know, the interest, the thing that I, I think of when you describe that is 
an interaction with my son, who must have been about five or six years old at the time. And he's always been a question asker and a challenge, you know, willing to challenge things. I kind of, my own makeup am the opposite. I might go along with things and yeah, let's not rock the boat. So I embrace so many things in, um, in faith and in the, in the specifics of the church that I was a part of. So it was a very, it embraced um, Calvinistic theology, which I I won't go into all the details Mm -hmm. of that. (laughs) There's a lot of specificity, but it really emphasizes God's choosing of people, God saving people. You can't, you can't, it's not about you, you know, um, choosing God. It's about God choosing you. The implication being, if God doesn't choose you, then, you know, you're lost, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was trying to share the gospel with my six-year-old son and talking to him about, you know, knowing that you're saved and having the confidence that you're going to be in heaven forever with God and not in hell and so on. And he just started asking very probing questions and pressing that and also expressing the fear that was in him of not feeling a certain thing. Like, how do I know I've felt the right thing? And and the fear that he was having about the teaching of eternal hell and the questions that he was asking, which are not easy questions to answer, and me seeing the turmoil that these specific beliefs were putting him through, that was probably one of the first little cracks in the facade for me, where I was like, oh, I don't He's like got this. A point. He's got a point. He's got a point. He's asking the love really, in hell. Yeah. I mean, like, where's this whole scary, terrible concept? Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I wish that I had uh, pressed into that more. It was easy to just kind of like try to write off and comfort him and so on. But I always go back to that moment. And I do, I do think there's something about um, our kids. Like you see the world differently through the eyes of your kids. And I mean, I think this is true in every generation. Every oh, yeah. generation pushes the 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 last and Just surprises so and shocks the last. And you know, yeah. we're all scandalized by what these what these young people are doing. And thank goodness and we are. It makes us wake up. Exactly, it makes us wake up, and it and it forces us to to see things and question things that we always just accepted. And obviously, there's a need for you know love and empathy and interaction and engagement both both ways. But that's just such a powerful thing where sometimes with your kids, you, you even see something like, wait a minute, I put myself through this, but I don't want to put my kids through this, this, you know, or like I have two daughters and I look back now and I'm so grateful that they're not growing up in that particular church's Mm -hmm. environment and the way that we treated women, you know, I'm saddened, saddened by the way my, my ex-wife was affected by, you know, those teachings and those ideas, Mm -hmm. but there's something about your kids where you you see things maybe in a new way. And, and I think that's the, that's the story of so many parents with, you know, with issues of, of, you know, the LGBTQ community. Yeah, I grew up in an environment where, you know, we were taught that anyone who was gay was sinful, was judged by God, all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. And we lived in a bubble where you never had to interact with anyone who um, was, you know, was gay. It was kind of like, no, that's just out there. That's in some big, scary, liberal city somewhere else. And I think that's the story of so many parents where suddenly their child is saying, hey, this is who I am. And you can no longer hold on to that that prejudice and that hatred 
because it's someone that you know and love and want to protect. So I, I, uh, I'm so grateful for the, the role my kids have played in my own, my own change and growth. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is it's really beautiful. And boy, I can relate it. You know a little bit of my story too. And it's my children as well that really, created, you know, I brought my kids up teaching them to question, to be curious, to think, yeah. to challenge. And we weren't always caught up in the evangelical world. We were like, you know, sort of kind of Christmas Christians, you know, like going to Catholic <laughs> church kind of thing. And there was, you know, right. there was a belief, but it was more in God and loveness and, yeah. and you know, being decent humans. And then I got mm. caught up for a period of my life in this. And it was my kids that woke me up because when we got so caught up in it, I, something always worried me that this is not real. This is not right. Yeah. And it was also my my children, especially my son, who's gay and who really challenged me. And it really made wow. me grow. And I'm so grateful That's because so then beautiful. you see truth and you see what truth really is and you see that love is doesn't doesn't hurt other people you know so it was just i I love that you gave that answer and that's that's really it's really amazing now let's on that basis let's just talk about what is happening in the church currently it's it's so Mm. interesting how there's such a an explosion within the mega churches i won't mention any specific names but we know there's there's a huge change that's happening we know numbers are dropping off in mega churches we know that these the gen z millennials are questioning which is fantastic older generations are are questioning there's there's a curiosity which is why i wanted to really base this whole podcast Cross interview around the question of let's change, mm. let's be curious, let's question, yeah. let's let's keep changing, let's for the betterment of humanity. Let's just get stuck and think, well, that's how we've always done it. Let's always do it right. that way. Let's yeah. question these values and so on. And there's such a lot of a uh, lot of talk around people deconstructing their faith mm. and mm-hmm. you know re- leaving the church. Church hurt. These big yeah. explosions in in the in the in the mega churches, the whole mm-hmm. concept of things being abused, like for example, the whole you got to be like a servant, and how people you know your servant heart, and how people have literally broken their backs being volunteers, but actually it's it's abuse, you mm. know, and 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 the sexual trauma that's come out of churches mm-hmm. that we're hearing so much of now of people, and you know I'm not going to mention any names, but you'll know who I'm referring to, certain pastors that were preaching sexual purity, but they were in the meantime having multiple affairs, you know, mm. the double lives. It's exploding. Right. It's really yeah. exploding. Can you just, you know, comment on that? And I don't know, whatever you'd like to say. I mean, this is a real <laughs> thing that's happening and, yeah. and it's a good thing that's happening. People are challenging and questioning. Well, you know, I I think we underestimate how massive of a change the internet is for the world. Very good point. Because it is given knowledge and the ability to hear lots of different perspectives. It's given a platform to anybody who wants to, you know, publish something online or do a podcast mm-hmm. or post on social media and so on. And we're all so used to that. It's like it's just the air we breathe now. Yeah. But 30 plus years ago, you couldn't do a, a you know, a conversation like the one we're having, unless no. you owned a radio station or you got a show that, you know, was sponsored yeah. by a radio station. So there were all these gatekeepers 
They were gatekeepers to publishing. They were gatekeepers to radio and TV. They were, you know, even in, in the church, you, you could segment people. And if someone didn't like something, you could kind of just push them to the edges and push them out the door. Yeah. And and you were the gatekeeper of the microphone up at, up at the front of the room, mm -hmm. and they could never tell their story. The internet broke down all those gatekeepers. It, it basically just shattered okay. all that power and it mean it meant that suddenly people could connect in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and they could start sharing stories and saying, "Hey, this is what I experienced. Oh, I experienced this. I was abused in this way." I, you know, they could start hearing different philosophies. They could hear about different types of churches. They could hear sermons from a pastor who had a different interpretation of the same scripture. You know, so that is an incredible you know, new beautiful freedom. Thing. Yeah. It is a beautiful thing. It is a massively disruptive thing because if you were one of the power holders and <laughs> gatekeepers <laughs> in the past, you felt like everything was crashing down. It was chaotic. This was gossip and slander and there are false teachers everywhere. You know, the yeah, reality I, is I they're just the trying reactions. to consolidate their power, right? You understand. Exactly. <laughs> oh, totally. It was yeah. pure, pure threat to their own power base. Yeah. But I do think that the the technology of the internet in a similar way that the technology of the printing press with the Reformation, it was a huge part of it. We would never have heard of Martin Luther <laughs> and you know yeah. all of his ideas if you didn't have the printing press to spread those ideas, exactly. if you didn't start having the Bible translated into the, you know, the common language so that people could read it. Suddenly they had access to information where there used to be priests who were yeah. the gatekeepers of them even being able to read the scriptures. And so I think, I mean, I just think the, the repercussions of that are still being felt. So all the things that you mentioned, um, you know, are really, I think, very connected to people being able to, to stand up and share their stories and collaborate, um, and say, hey, this this is this shouldn't be this way, and now people, uh, you know, they can they can make choices, and they can be affirmed in their in their choices in a way that gives them the confidence to to step out of things. So you mentioned deconstruction mm -hmm. and I, I mean, it's such a loaded word and it's been it politicized and it's it been, um, you know, labeled in a lot of different ways, but it's interesting the role that language plays because in the past, anyone who left the church was an apostate. They mm -hmm. were, they were no longer part of the narrative. If, if they're not in the, in the church, you don't see them. You don't hear about them. Exactly. You just kind of think, oh, their life fell apart. Oh, they got a divorce. Oh, their, you know, kid That's got into end. trouble. Oh, they're gay, whatever, whatever it might yeah. be. And they're, and you know, you know, as, as a Christian, you just kind of in a very self-righteous way, imagine that they are so unhappy that everything's terrible for them. Well, now you can, you can see them on, on Instagram. And they're having a great time. Having life. a great time. <laughs> Set free. And that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and they and and they're sharing, you know, these quotes about, you know, their freedom and problems in the church and those types of things. And even if a word like deconstruction or disentangling or whatever you want to call it, yeah. suddenly there's new language that describes what, oh, I think I'm going through that. I think I'm asking questions. And so you no longer have, again, the power of you know the priests in the church saying hey if you ask these questions you are falling away you're backsliding you're on your way to hell suddenly there's new language to say you know what I'm, that's how you actually... exist <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah is that is that really real <laughs> that really so could, suddenly you have a different language and you're affirmed mm -hmm. in that and you're saying 
oh, this is a part of growth. This is a part of change. It's okay to question. I'm deconstructing things. I'm, you know, I have a new framework for thinking about who God is. And and that is that opens so many doors for people to to come in, but also to to go out. And I, I do think that's really healthy. Knob's toothpaste was formulated by a dentist to provide a minimalist toothpaste without sacrificing on efficiency. Just 13 ingredients and no BS. It's that simple. Most fluoride-free toothpaste don't include a remineralizing agent. Knob's changed that. Knob's is formulated with the safest remineralizing agent alternative to fluoride called nano-hydroxypatite and super gentle polishing ingredients. Plus, because they are dehydrated tablets, they don't have any unnecessary preservatives. Each ingredient was handpicked to be included so that the list of ingredients was minimal while remaining effective. I also love that knobs is so simple to use. Simply take a tablet, chew it a few times and brush normally. Watch as knobs foams, thanks to a naturally derived ingredient from coconuts called sodium cockle isothionate, just like a regular toothpaste but without the junk. No mess, no crinkled tube. The tablets are also pre-dosed, so no more wondering if you put enough toothpaste or too much. I love taking knobs with me when I'm traveling as it frees up so much space in my toiletry bag when flying for work. The toothpaste is TSA compliant, so airport security won't confiscate your knobs because it's not considered a liquid. And for a limited time, you can enjoy 15% of your first one month supply of knobs, only applicable to the small one month jar, with the code DRLEAF at https forward slash betterbiome.com forward slash drleaf. That's https forward slash betterbiome.com forward slash drleaf. That's 15% of your first one month supply of knobs with the code drleaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. I think the way you've answered that's so good. It's so good. It's uh, We so often blame this social media and internet and all AI and everything for the mental health crisis currently. Meanwhile, I always say social media is not to blame. It's how we're managing it. Mm. And in the context of what you've just said, it's given people the opportunity to share all the all the, the lies that were suppressed. Like you, mm. you, you can't get away with stuff anymore. And yeah. truth is, truth is coming true. out. And yes, I know it brings out a lot of bad stuff too in terms of, but at least it's out there and we yeah. can then teach ourselves and our children and and um, young adults and so on how to understand and have conversations which goes right. to the whole the whole curious nature of, of us as humans we're supposed yeah. to be constantly curious questioning no one's no one has it that they the concept of a gatekeeper is just so wrong if you think of it it's yeah. just who has the right to make the decision that you can't talk in a church if you're a woman who has the mm. right to say that that you know gay is right or wrong who is the, who's 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 the right to say that who are you mm. what makes you happy as a human and are you operating mm. in love and touching other people's lives and changing other people's or are you harming others you know, you look at the harm that comes from being so stuck in a very narrow-minded mindset and the damage it causes. Yeah. You know, Josh, I know you get a, a you get a lot of people contacting you. I'm sure through d- direct messaging and mm. in various things that you do, we get thousands of emails and and DMs oh, and, wow. and people that are in um, religious trauma that have been so hurt that still love however they see spirituality because there's obviously mm. different ways of seeing God. Everyone's so different. The social media environment has cr- allowed us to explore this beautiful diversity that we have as yeah. as humans, yeah. and and pull the lid off all the things that were hidden. So to, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I, this is a great thing that these things are being exposed, 
and that people are challenging and questioning and having their own perceptions of spirituality. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to be doing as humans. I think it's really, really powerful. I, I also just want to add, you know, because it it could sound like to some people who are listening that we're just, you know, piling on the church and to religion. One of the things that I'm learning though is that these tendencies toward control, towards groupthink, towards this sense of you can't you can't ask this question or you can't, you know, you know, have this viewpoint or whatever, or you're gonna get pushed out. That's not just in the church. <laughs> no, it's not. Right? It's, no, it's, it's tribalism. It's, it really yeah. is. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's been something that's I'm kind glad of been, you brought that up. Yeah. It's been eye opening for me because, you know, for a while I was just really mad at the church and like, ah, you know, can't believe that Christians do this. And then as I'm, you know, interacting with people in different, different tribes, you know, yeah. the broader culture, secular, totally secular communities, secular spiritual communities, whatever, I realize, oh, those same patterns are here too. You know, yeah. I'm not allowed to think, you know, fill in the blank here because if I do, people will push me out. You know, there's like a, a, a very defined doctrine of what you are and you aren't allowed to think. And that applies to, you know, discussions of, of sexuality. It mm -hmm. applies to, um, you know, it applies to politics. Obviously yeah. we're so polarized. It's like, if you're yeah. in this camp, you're not allowed to, question you're not allowed to support certain things whatever it might be yeah, yeah and i i really think you know for the world to be healthy it's not just religion that needs to encourage growth and curiosity and questions it's it's also the broader culture oh, totally. because it's so simple i i just feel so like so many people they go from a dogmatic controlling religious environment they escape that and then they land right into one that is exactly the same, only it's secular. It's just a different, different issue. Josh, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And I, and I think it's so important that we recognize it's not just the church where we see this kind of tribalism. We're seeing this mm. kind of one way of doing things, as you mentioned, in so many other areas, diet culture, politics, all that kind of thing. So we need to be aware of it, which really goes to the theme running through this inter this discussion we're having, which is we need to be curious. We need to be open to change. We need to be careful mm. of saying that this is the only way to do something and you've got to think my way or the highway. That's really dangerous thinking. And Mm -hmm. use that as a guide we can then function function at a, at a much higher level and be more loving i think that's the mm. thing be more loving as humans i want to ask one more question though related to the church and then you know as we come to the end of this interview and this is something that we get asked a lot we get a lot of direct messaging and emails and that is thing and it also goes to the current situation that's happening in the mega churches that we spoke about mm. in the previous question and it's basically this idea that the message of the servant's heart. And we briefly mentioned that, but that people are, um, I'm going to actually read my question. People are complaining that they were manipulated, overworked, used like abusers almost, making mm. people shame for feeling tired, overworked and used. Is this something that you sought your time in the church and what advice would you give to these people? Yeah, boy. I, I do remember um, as a pastor, we were constantly calling people to volunteer. It was a huge part of participating in the church. And I think there are two sides to it. One thing I would say is I do think there's truth to when we 
when we serve and we we give of ourselves, there is tremendous reward. And I, I, I've seen that in my own life. I, my girlfriend and I started a volunteer team in Vancouver called Hello Yellow, where we're just encouraging people to be friendly and to engage with strangers. And we asked people to volunteer and it was quite rewarding for them. And so that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember there was a point where I began to see as a pastor, boy, we are, we are asking so much to people and there's like a certain, you know, there's 20% of the church that's really trying to, to, to serve and to follow God's word and to show up whenever they're asked to. And then there's a huge, you know, portion that's really not listening to that, not stepping up. And so what you end up doing is you end up driving the servant hearted people who want to do their best into the ground. You, you know, yeah. you just wear them out. And I remember giving a sermon once where I basically said, listen, if you, you know, you need to prioritize your own health. There are mm-hmm. other aspects of you loving and serving God that are not just in the church. And we didn't get as many volunteers <laughs> and it was a problem. And, you know, I, it was a, re- it was a real wake up for me of like, wow, the way that we've structured things from children's ministry to care groups, to all these different things, it is built on this idea that there will be this constant, you know, stream of people giving up so much of their time. And I think that's unhealthy. Yeah. And I do think, um, I mean, I've heard um, some of these stories in, in really uh, unhealthy environments where it's kind of like a church sweatshop, right? Like it's like yeah. you're really using people and and then you're manipulating by tying that to, you know, being in God's favor and God being pleased and so on. So, I mean, I think the advice I would give for people in that setting is to is to really determine for yourself where where what are my gifts? What do I enjoy doing? Does that line up with the needs that are there? And then set boundaries and say, you know what? I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for my own joy. And and beyond that, I don't have to have any guilt that I can't meet every need. I don't need to meet every need. There are other people that have to step up. And possibly the church needs to change mm. its programming. Sure. Because if it's reliant on people being unhealthy, to make these things happen, maybe they shouldn't be happening, you know? So that takes a lot of uh, kind of inner strength and and confidence in the Lord, really, <laughs> to say, I'm confident in God's love. I don't have to earn it by, you know, by being a slave in the church. Um, and so, yeah, that that's really difficult. And unfortunately, I think there is a lot of scripture that can be used to to manipulate. So I think you have to be really careful and, and churches need to be really careful. Fantastic advice. And on that note, Josh, once again, I've enjoyed so much having you on the show and having this great and very important conversation. Thank you for all the wisdom you shared. And I look forward to our next conversations. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much. I always learn something when we get to talk. So I'm grateful. Oh, I'm grateful too. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic day. And thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you.